Star Wars. This is on Star Wars, specifically Clone Wars, Season 7. Star Wars. This is on Star Wars, specifically Clone Wars, Episode 2. Secret mission to Skako Minor. Having found Padawan Sarah up to the challenge, Jedi Master Colleen briefs her on their next task, backing up General Anakin Skywalker, Captain Rex, and the baddest batch as they infiltrate the sandstorm-laden planet of Skako Minor. Hoping to discover the Separatist's secret algorithm, Skywalker orders Sarah and Colleen to remain in orbit to await their return. But after losing the Havoc Marauder's signal due to extreme planetary interference, will Colleen and Sarah be able to stay put while their Comrades remain in danger. Let's catch up with these two formidable Jedi for a closer look at the Clone Wars Season 7 second episode, A Distant Echo, featuring, hopefully, the return of Clone Trooper 1409. Welcome ravenous streamers and culture consumers aboard Bohemian Geek Studies Millennium Fandom. I'm Padawan learner Sarah O'Connor, queen of queries, lady of literature, and defender of droids. And I'm Jedi Master Colleen McMillan, lady of loggers, Gryffindor prefect, and rebel scum collaborator, with the quick disclaimer that there's still much both Sarah and I desire to learn about Star Wars to earn the ranks we carry. As a friendly reminder, we will be discussing spoilers, spoiler alert, and using some adult contenty language. So if you haven't watched episode two yet, or the idea of Jar Jar definitely got it on distresses you, tune out and come back to us when you're ready. So without further ado... Punch it, Colleen! Yahoo! Now, listeners, let's hop into the Millennium Fandom for our episode recap. So, listeners, today, the search for truth begins with belief, and that is our opening card for this episode. All right, avid listeners, another heavy episode for Season 7, though there were plenty of comedic moments, so things didn't get too dour. Leaving off from Episode 1, we find Anakin and Rex preparing with the Bad Batch to find the algorithm source on Skeko Minor. Whether or not it's really Echo, their main purpose is to find this algorithm and stop it. And if you ask for Hunter's opinion, he'd tell you that it sounds like a trap. Tension amongst team members builds as the crew arrives on the stormy planet and encounters the indigenous people known as the Politex and their avatar-like dragons. Well, not dragons, but close enough. Anakin is briefly captured by the Politex people, but Rex is able to negotiate a release by promising to leave the planet after they rescue their comrade. The Politex chief is happy to help so long as they leave immediately after the rescue and take war from the planet. Wonderfully, we find out that Wrecker is a little afraid of heights, <laughs> though he swears it's not a problem. And after a brief skirmish pitting Rex against most of the Bad Batch, they infiltrate the Techno Union's facility in the city of Perkle and fight off numerous augmented battle droids. Tech loses Echo's signal at times, which he theorizes is due to Echo not transmitting every moment. This could be a setup, but it seems like Tech is correct. Villainous Watt Tambor phones in to tell them that Echo is dead and his mind belongs to the Techno Union. Mwahaha! Such a dick. Now, Rex and Tech finally make their way into the main algorithm room and find an eerie stasis chamber. Within is a horrific sight. An emaciated and half-cyborg Echo, who has no idea how much time has passed since his near death at the Citadel in Season 3. Can Echo be saved, or will he meet his end just as Rex rescues him? Uh, <laughs> yep, I promise I only shed a few tears at the end of this episode. 
or a couple right before work so that was fun <laughs> yeah no thanks no big deal that's just a lot of dust yeah, it's fine allergies they're rampant right now it's spring <laughs> All right, guys, I am going to switch over a little bit from our recap to go into our theme. And today, I think we're going to pick truth and trust. Our opening tagline stresses both truth and belief, as Rex's search for truth begins with him believing Echo is alive. Now, no one else, including, it seems, most of the Jedi Council, if not all of them, including Obi-Wan and Anakin, seem to believe that Echo is the algorithm. Or even if he is, they doubt he's alive. So it's Rex's job this episode to keep the team moving forward toward their goal, whether they believe him or not he thinks what he knows is the truth so then we also have the theme of trust and we have padme reminding anakin to trust in rex's instincts that it's important to have his friends back the bad batch must in turn trust anakin and rex no matter how difficult it is for them by following them into perkle's tall towers for what could be a suicide mission they're not used to working with people like anybody they're only used to working with each other so this is a huge deal for them they're learning how to play together it's so cute yeah they're learning to play in the same sandbox it is cute. They all seem to be doing a fairly good job except Crosshair. We'll get to him later. The next layer of trust is seen in the opening segment where we discover that Rex fucking knows, guys. He knows. Oh, he knows. He knows about Anakin and Padme. He knows they're hooking up. He knows probably that they're married. Can't take a hint that well, but he knows. He probably doesn't know that they're pregnant because Anakin doesn't know. But like, who the heck? Like, what the hell? Oh, my God. We had no idea. This is huge. Like, huge news. We had no idea. No idea that Rex knew. And seemingly bigger than that, and we'll get to both of these later, Obi-Wan knows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's still only kind of guessing. Sure, we think he can kind of sense that some things are amuck and amiss, but the last time we see him and Anakin together sharing some kind of brotherly advice, it seems to be more of the standpoint Obi-Wan cautioning Anakin to back off, not from the standpoint, oh my goodness, you two are married, now what do we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that you've boned, what do we do now? And so Anakin's truth sharing this with Rex is hugely important. And the fact that it's not being shared with Obi-Wan just continues to be that seed of doubt and that downfall that we know is coming. And this distrust is probably the worst mistake in what is soon going to be an exponentially increasing rate of mistakes. But Rex is a subordinate. I mean, he picked a good person because Rex is awesome. But choosing not to put Obi-Wan into the circle of trust here was a massive error. Obi-Wan would have had his back, as he's proven just now. Like, he hasn't told anybody what he knows. And on that super chipper note, <laughs> it's time for us to explore the seven holocrons of knowledge, a.k.a. our repositories of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Jocasta knew would be proud of us. Starting us off on our first holocron, help us Jedi Master Colleen, when and where are we? All right, so when are we in time? We're basically pretty much in the same time frame. It's still 19 BBY before Battle of Yavin, not long after episode one. So Rex has basically had enough time to debrief people and get people on his mission to try and find Echo. So probably a couple days maybe has passed, if not even that long. Our location, we're on Anaxes for a, a little smidgen, but the main location is going to be Skeko Minor. This is a planet in the core worlds 
So like Coruscant is in the core worlds at the main part of the core. This is a little bit ways further out. This is home to the Skekowins and the Poltec people. The Skekowins, most notably Wat Tambor, evil piece of shit of the Techno Union, <laughs> can be distinguished by their pressure suits and really robotic voices. They're kind of amphibious. They're very imposing and very tall. And they have the, the little goggles on their eyes. And yeah, they, they look weird. And they're jerks. Aside from that, the Politech are primitive culture, like primitive major quotation marks here, because they seem to be getting along fine without the prime directive going on. I'm pretty sure that's just unfortunate language choice. Because, hi, these are indigenous people right. who expertly know how to ride incredibly impressive animals yes. that may be force sensitive. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll explore the possible ties there to the sun that we see in Rebels, maybe in the next episode, depending on what happens in episode three or beyond. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, they know what's going on. They know there's a war going on. They know to capture Anakin because he's the leader. They kind of know what a Jedi is because the chief sees the lightsaber and knows who the leader is. Let's not call them primitive tech. Like Tech. 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 You're pretty good, but come on. Let's not. Come on. You're better than this. Better than this. Don't call what them are you primitive. Doing? But these guys live separately from the Skakowins and they, they hate them, basically. They're kind of like a warring cultures on the same planet. They raise the little dragon guys, the Kiridak dragons. This planet will also be familiar to fans of of the comic book series character Dr. Afra. And yes, Afra does encounter some of this stuff too, like the storms and the planetary disturbances when she's on Skeko Minor. There are these frequent lightning blasts on the planet, which conjures images of dark force power, especially Palpatine, and now Rey, of course, that we're heading her in with Palpy's family. There's one blast in the episode that hits just when Anakin and Rex are running toward the tower, and the Bad Batch kind of step back and a few of them take aim towards them, but then they pull back at the last second when they see who it is. And in the back of my head, I was thinking, should they have just shot Anakin? Should they? That would have made for a much less interesting story, but certainly a more peaceful one, you'd think. Right? Oh, shit. We just killed the chosen one. Oh, no. (laughs) Did you notice that there was that Palpatine purple lightning in the echo chamber? Yes, that kind of imagery certainly is going to take us farther down the train tracks into his derailment. More lightning, please. I'm hoping that we get to see more of that imagery the closer that we get to Anakin's downfall and the execution of Order 66. More imagery, more foreshadowing. We're not afraid. We can handle it. For our second holocron, who's here and why are they here? Mm-hmm. All right. So like we said before, our Jedi general for this episode is Anakin Skywalker. He's in command of the mission. We do get that quick glimpse of Obi-Wan and his gloriously sexy beard. Like, uh, mm, he is looking good. He knows Rex is lying about covering for Anakin. He's super exasperated with Anakin. It's just just Obi-Wan at his best. His little wave that he gives <laughs> Rex before he walks over is so cute. He's like, oh, Rex, my friend. And Rex is like, balls here comes obi-wan he pounds on the door for anakin to like put his dick back in like jesus christ howdy hi like we have a mission y'all come (laughs) on yeah well to each their own mission i suppose Mm, yes exactly and you had also noted when we were talking earlier that you thought that anakin and obi-wan were also even though they're looking they're looking pretty good they're also looking haggard like real haggard af Super haggard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you had noted how you could see the level of fatigue in Mason Anakin, particularly mm-hmm. around the eyes in episode one. And you see something similar here, but it's almost kind of accelerated a bit. Their entire faces now, not just around the eyes, are really starting to show mm-hmm. a level of weariness that you just don't want to see on a Jedi's face. 
I love to see this level of artistry to show those subtle passages of time and those extra on those extra invisible weights bearing down on each of these characters. It's kind of like Anakin's hair growing. All of those subtle little details help build the story for the viewer in a beautiful, subtle, delicious way. So much so. Like Rex doesn't have that right now because he's got this kind of manic energy to go find Echo and the Bad Batch don't because they really just don't care. As long as they have a mission, they're fine. But almost everyone else around them, the other clones and especially the Jedi are starting to look weary. All right. So then next, after our little Jedi corner over there, our boys, we have the clone soldiers. So Captain Rex and Bad Batch are back. We also get that one heartbreaking scene at the end with Echo that we'll talk about later. And, you know, another shout out for Tech. He continues to be the only really damn decent member of the Bad Batch. He believes Rex about Echo. He is not using that reg slur. He's not picking fights. He's just doing his job. He's just out there doing his job, piloting the ship like a boss. He's just doing great. He is literally a skeleton key of the crew. He really is. And so what about Padme? We've talked about the gentleman involved. How does she feature in on this episode? All right. So yes. Oh, and I love Padme in The Clone Wars. I think she's phenomenal. She is just with it. She's commanding. She's great. Yeah. She's basically what she is not in Revenge of the Sith. Yep. I don't know what happened there. It might be direction. It might be dialogue. It might be a number of things. But at least we have Clone Wars, so we actually get real awesome Padme. And I love that you can tell that she's pregnant because she is touching her midsection. Yeah, just two little ones. Just Just two little little twinsies. Yeah, I love it. And Anakin, of course, is oblivious. He has no clue. Like, the key. he's really distracted, so that's kind of fine. After the hilarious exchange that they had, where Anakin's basically, like, wagging his eyebrows at Rex, like, come on, Rex, I have to go do this meeting. And Hunter is staring at them like, are you guys a couple? Is that what's happening? Yeah, totally if I was Hunter. It felt very much like Anakin was trying to be subtle about going back mm-hmm. to the bunker with Rex. Yeah. And Rex is like, yo, no, 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 man, not right now, bro. Mm-hmm. And Hunter's just trying to politely dip out without <laughs> causing a further disturbance in the forest. Kind of like, you two do whatever you need to do. I'll just be right back, but I'm dipping out. But it's for Padme and... I mean, it's probably good that Hunter doesn't know that it's Bebby and suspects that maybe it's something else. But yes. So finally, Rex says, fine, we're going to go and you can go talk to Padme and do whatever it is you guys are going to be doing. And she notices once they're in the meeting after saying he's late, because of course he's late, he's Anakin. Yeah, right. She notices that he's really troubled about something. And at first he's like, it's Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan's coming. And she's like, nope, that's not it. You can't hide from me. Nice try, Anakin. Yeah, good try. So she wrangles the explanation out of him. He says he's really worried that Rex is letting his personal feelings drive the mission. And Padme is like, mm, 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 mm. Yeah, I wonder where the fuck you learned that, <laughs> Anakin. And Anakin's kind of like, oh, I guess it's probably me, right? Oh, my God. He's such a bonehead. So Padme goes and says, trust his instincts like he trusts yours. Because Rex is always there for Anakin, no matter what. Padme wants Anakin to trust Rex, to realize that it's Anakin's influence that has made Rex this way like made him lead with his heart in the situation if rex hadn't been stationed under anakin for so long it might not have ended up like this like echo might still be stuck where he is and you see the kind of influence that anakin has just with his mere presence Mm -hmm. 
I think of snips in that regard and Rex in the same regard in the way that there's a touch of Mm Qui-Gon, Rebellion, and so on up the chain as well. Mm -hmm. Great leaders. These folks are capable, phenomenal soldiers, great leaders in their own regards, Mm -hmm. who, contrary to classic rigorous protocol, do make some exceptions to commands specifically those higher up in the command, which is a huge no-no. And that's one of those interesting philosophical discussions about the blessings and the curses of the Jedi Council and what it means to follow a command and to be a good leader. Exactly. There's another part we kind of wanted to show that kind of leads in from Padme's thing about Anakin trusting Rex, where they're in the tower and they're by the door and they're being attacked by the droids and they're so close to finding Echo. And Anakin yells, Tech, open the door for Rex. So it's like, Anakin is saying this to Tech, get over there, open the door, we need to find out what's over there. So Anakin is all in on this mission, but it's mainly because of Rex's conviction. Like, Anakin isn't even sure. Same with the Bad Batch. Even though Hunter said it quite gruffly that they'll go with them, even though it's to prove them wrong, Mm -hmm. the idea is Hunter knows Rex has the scent Mm -hmm. of the hunt in his nose, and he's not going to stop until he finds out what has happened to Echo for better or worse. Exactly. And I love that part. I love it. Like, yes, they kind of know it's a suicide mission, but they still go. Almost like, nah, we have nothing to do. (laughs) Yeah, we're bored. Just go kill some droids. (laughs) Speaking of which, who are the main villains in charge of these droids that our boys in arms have to face? This is even worse than freaking Trench from last week. So it's Foreman Watt Tambor and the Techno Union. Okay, this guy is like this amphibian asshole. He claims corporate neutrality to keep a prisoner of war and use him as a technology slave. Like he's basically up in here saying, I have a POW and nobody can touch me because I'm capitalist, basically. He's just full on doesn't care. He pledged his support to Count Dooku and the Separatists way back in Attack of the Clones, so that's 22 BBY, right before the Battle of Geonosis and the beginning of the Clone Wars. His techno-union subsidiaries create all of the weapons and droids for the war, and then at the end of this episode is horrifying. His exchange with Rex is just awful, where he insists Echo is dead and his mind belongs to the Union. Like, it doesn't matter even if Rex and company can rescue him. He's still corporate property. It's so, so chilling. Mm-hmm. It's gross. It reminds me of the characters who were enslaved and who escape and get caught again. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Wookiees that happens too. It's like their empire property at some point. It happens a lot with different races, especially we say quote unquote alien races, but in Star Wars, they usually say non-human. It's like the Twi'leks are enslaved as a lot of sex workers and slave dancers. Wookiees are enslaved for manual labor. It's terrible. And if they try to escape, there's a lot of United States Civil War connotations where if you're caught, horrible things will happen to you. And they basically just work you until you die. And speaking about super chipper things, what about Crosshair? What's up with him? Oh, this fucking guy. (laughs) I'm going to put Crosshair in the villain section just this once. Yeah, no, he's in our crosshair. He's Yeah, he's in our villain's crosshairs right now for this absolutely unacceptable exchange. Okay, so he's talking to Rex. They're about ready to storm the towers. And he says, quote, I think you're letting your personal feelings get in the way because you left him for dead at the Citadel. Rex counters, quote, I had no choice. Crosshair, oh, I don't blame you. I would have left him for dead too. Besides, he's just another reg. He deserves every single punch in the face that he gets 
sense for that line. The script writers are making it very hard for me to want him to remain part of the team. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know he's a necessary, not evil per se, but a necessary part of the team. But for real, that is a awful, awful take. At this point, you're just stirring the pot, my guy. Like he's trying to start fights. And speaking of fighting, moving on to our third holocron. What is our cool creature? And did we get to see it involved in any cool fights today? Ooh, yes, we did. Dragons! Dragons! Okay, fine. I know they're not dragons. They're like Taruk Maktos. We're in Avatar now. It's totally fine. Yep, James Cameron has invaded the Star Wars set. and He has brought his dragons with him. Okay, so for real, they're called Kyridax. They're tamed by the indigenous people, the Poltex, and they might be worshipped by them as well, although Tech, his opinion on this might be a little bit... Questionable. Yeah, I think they kind of just use them as part of their culture for getting around. Maybe they use them to sow crops. We don't know that part yet, but they mostly seem to be large pets. Yeah, that's how I'd raise them too. And they listen to their masters, the the chief's Kyrdak seems larger and is a different color than the others. And that's the, the Turokmato. The Turokmato, the biggest and the baddest of the dragons, is the chief's dragon. Yeah, so I suppose this is a shout out to our homage holocron section without repeating it. Yes. It's right there. It lands on the ship. And yeah, it's like different colors, but it's the same thing. Maybe just no hair weird connection thing. Yes, exactly. And these big, tall, spindly people are riding them. Like, same thing. The Poltec are basically the Navi. We have come to that conclusion. (laughs) I'll allow it. Yeah, we'll allow it this one time, Star Wars. The really cool thing, though, that I loved about these creatures was that they reminded me a lot of the Sun, who was last seen in Clone Wars Season 3 Mortis arc. The Sun is one of the guardians, basically, of the Force. He's the epitomization of the dark side of the Force. And he can take the form of a massive draconian gargoyle that looks a lot like these Kyrdrak dragons. And I don't think that the Politex Kyrdaks are dark creatures, per se. Like we said, they're pets, basically. But this could be like another foreshadowing hint to Anakin's future fall. Kind of that little callback to season three Mortis. The sun is still around, guys. So like he might be quote unquote dead, but he's still alive in Anakin at this point. Moving on now to our fourth holocron, cool item. We actually have two this time. Colleen, what's that first holocron that I didn't spy, but you certainly did? This one is really cool because once the Star Wars guys realized that fans were super into this fake language, They're like, all right, we're going to give you plenty of fake language. So there's a poster in the clones' barracks that says Space Battles in Arabesh. That's the Star Wars written language. And it looks like it's a movie poster. I don't know what a movie's called in Star Wars. It's probably like a hollow vid. Hollow reel. And after that became hollow vid. And then it became hollow blue before it became hollow flicks. And now you just chill with your loved one while watching it. It's great. (laughs) Darn right. We can just stream, right? (laughs) Absolutely. I like it's kind of making fun of the Star Wars quote. So it's just space battles, this movie that the clones like. Because of course they're going to like it. I love those little Easter eggs. They do it in Futurama a lot with their alien language. It's art within art. And it's just a nice fun thing for fans to be able to kind of pick apart and say, oh, it's immersive. It's a complete world. They actually have this written language, which was really fun to see. Exactly. Yes. And then you noticed our other cool item. You had brought this one up. I love text goggles. Not only did it allow the team to talk with a completely different species, it works beautifully well by projecting the language of both parties. I absolutely love them. 
Amazon, mm-hmm. make it happen. It was cool because the Politech chief was then, because he was kind of looking at Rex and Anakin, but once Tech started speaking and he saw his language, he was like, oh, okay. I can listen to you, but then I can see what you're saying here. And it was so, it was just so cool. So fifth holocron, what homages did we see besides the ones we talked about a little bit earlier? Mm, There were actually a lot of them in this. There was a lot of genre hopping in this episode. We had the normal kind of battle sequency stuff that we get the war movie kind of thing. But there was a lot of horror, um, a lot of body horror stuff. There was a lot of science fiction horror. The first one, it kind of made me tear up probably a little bit more than I would have. (laughs) I had just watched it before watching this new episode. I was rewatching the clone centric episodes that I talked about in our last pod. And I noticed something for a little bit of light watching. A little bit of light watching. <laughs> it's fine. I'm fine. I'm part Ravenclaw. It's fine. So this was an homage to our clone Echo 5s, their group, the Domino Squad, their training final exam simulation that we see in an earlier episode, which is basically their kind of introduction episode. And their exam is called the Citadel. So they're put through this final training exam called the Citadel. Ugh, I just got chills. And it's... When I thought about that, I'm like, oh my god, like Echo Fake died so many times trying to pass this test. And they do in the end, of course, they get past the test and do it in kind of a really flair kind of way because one of their trainers basically sabotages them. So they have to think up really cool ways in order to defeat it. And so they prove themselves. But Echo, it's like he's died so many times here only to defeat it. And then his actual death comes at the actual Citadel prison. Yeah, they JK rolling us in Series 7. Bravo. They did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they really did. I totally forgot about that. I mean, I knew they had their final exam, but I forgot it was called The Citadel. And then rewatching that, I'm like, no! And then watching this episode again, I noticed Echo's first line. Like, it was his very first line when he comes out of that cryostasis. He says, I have to get to the shuttle to escape the Citadel. No, I'll go first. And that's basically when he kind of pushed Fives back and went and quote unquote died when the shuttle exploded. Now I will say, because I tried to pay attention to this right as the chamber opens, just for a moment, Mm -hmm. that mantra identifier was being repeated. Mm -hmm. Colleen, do you think that this was a volitional choice by Echo? Was it a trap? Mm -hmm. It seems like it... It was kind of a reflex action, it kind of seemed... Exactly. Yes, which is, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, so I don't want to say too much right now, but yeah, I, I kind of think it was a reflex or his little spark of humanity that's still there being like, oh, somebody actually asked who I am. Like, this is cool. And speaking of that chamber, that stasis chamber, it's so horrific, but it's also a really cool, fantastic design element for the series. It evokes both disgust and intrigue, kind of like Frankenstein's monster emerging from his little platform when he awakens. You notice that the Techno Union is not taking really great care of Echo. He looks like a corpse. He kind of looks like a Frankenstein's monster. He's skeletal. He's freezer burned. When he's still in stasis a little bit, his eyes are in this really intense REM cycle. It reminded me a lot of the Alien franchise where they have their little hyperspace chambers that are used by the humans to sleep comfortably as their ships went long distances in hyperspace. Quote unquote, comfortable is the key word there. For sure. Comfortably, supposedly comfortably. So these chambers were used in the Alien franchise to be more frightening. Like, yes, this is supposed to be your bedroom, kind of, a place of safety, but it's turned into a death trap. 
And now for Echo, it's the same thing. This is like his chamber is a nightmare. And then you brought up the Matrix. Yeah. So again, this is kind of like a holocron within a holocron Mm -hmm. because this is very similar to the machines for the bad guys in... Well, I'm not even going to go down the bad guys, good guys hole for Matrix, all right? (laughs) Rather, whomever is inside the chamber has no control and is only there as kind of like a floating battery. And that's very similar to what we're seeing here with Echo. Yep. Alive, but living? Not really. Yep, exactly. Kind of like the Borg, too. The queen of the Borg is obviously sentient and knows what's going on, but all of her subjects, the hive mind, don't. And Echo has a lot of that going on with him, too. The half-human, half-machine who's being used, basically, by a higher being in order to get shit done. And so speaking of half-human, (sighs) half-machine... Six Holocron, Darth, Palladius, where we look at kind of the mm-hmm, Sith or mm-hmm. the impending doom contained within the plot. What are the dramatic dark ironies in this episode? What do we know that our humble heroic characters do not? And one of the front of mind questions that we have is coming back to Order 66, whether or not Echo still has his inhibitor chip in him. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Colleen? I know we're going to talk a little bit about this later, so I don't want to say too much, but I have a theory that it was damaged in the shuttle explosion at the Citadel and was removed by the Techno Union. They might have even removed it to allow for better brain activity while he was hooked into the stasis chamber because they wouldn't know what it was. They would have been like, this is not helping him. It's obviously inhibiting our information flow. So I'm guessing that they took it out of him so he does not have the chip. And when it comes to a flow of information lacking, Anakin, come on, look at your boo. She's holding her little tum-tum. She's probably somewhere between 12 to 16 Mm -hmm. weeks pregnant. Caressing. And sadly, we know part of this Darth Palladius, this dark plot, Mm -hmm. is we know that this isn't going to end well for the parents. Padme is definitely subtly flaunting that bump. Yeah. We know. When Colleen does Padme tell Anakin? So at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, after Anakin and Obi-Wan return to Coruscant after rescuing Palpy from his fake kidnapping, great job Palpy, another chief douche in our series, that is when Padme finally is like, yo, dude, I'm pregnant, obviously, because I'm showing that I'm pregnant. <laughs> so it makes me guess that she's probably tried to hint at him a few times that she's been pregnant. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And this is one of them where she's like touching her belly kind of and then touches his hand and he is just not paying any attention. Zero. He needs eye contact. You have to make eye contact with Anakin before he gets it. <laughs> It's kind of like Anakin and Vader can use the Force incredibly well, but sometimes he, they, he has trouble sensing it. Mm-hmm. What's darkly cute is Padme jokes that Anakin believes he can bring a swift end to this single-handedly. Yeah, <laughs> that, that part's so great. Like, really? We're going to lay it on that thick? That's great. Because it's, it's clever. Like, yes, this is awesome. And you have to wonder, is Anakin kind of like giving her like the old raised eyebrow like really did you just say single handedly 
Yes. <laughs> also that like Sith mentality that only he single-handedly has the power and capacity to do this. Yes. The idea that, quote, you and me or just me really alone against the world can do this. And it's like, Annie, yo, relax. Jamie, Cersei, we get it. You against the world and all that. But chill it down, Anakin. You're going, you're going dark and we're seeing it. Right? Yeah, this is not a time for a relationship talk. Like, Republic is falling. This is is fine. Speaking of relationship talks, Mm. man, that Obi-Wan quote. I hope you told Padme I said hello. So much shade. I hope you told Padme I said hello. How many (laughs) fucks does Obi-Wan give? Zero fucks given by Obi-Wan Kenobi. Zero. That's very much Obi-Wan approaching this from, I see my young brother is in puppy or real love, but... Mm -hmm. And Padme is reciprocating. Yeah, no, it's very much like Satine. Mm -hmm. Remember my last, Annie. Remember what happened to me. Don't go any further. But yeah, it's already... It's already too late. It's too late, yeah. For sure. It's way too late. That's the only reason I think Obi-Wan doesn't know as much, because he does have that conversation with Anakin in the previous season, where he's like, please don't do this. Rush Clovis, fucking Rush Clovis, he's a whole nother podcast, folks. A whole nother podcast. But Anakin's behavior and jealousy toward him brings out the darkness, and Obi-Wan can feel it. And even if he doesn't think they're married, he still is like, my guy, you really need to pull back on this. Now, one person who doesn't sense it is Rex. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This is a Rebels spoiler. (laughs) In Rebels, we learn that he has no idea what happened to Anakin. So clearly, even though Anakin has been pressuring Rex on his leadership and his headspace, Mm -hmm. these two men likely won't have a falling out in this season. Because again, in Rebels, Rex and Ahsoka still think incredibly highly of Anakin. There are very few people know. I mean, of course, Palpatine knows. Tarkin probably knows. And we learn in the comics that Jocasta Nu finds out. But there are very, and Obi-Wan, of course, knows. But there are very few people who know about the fall of Anakin Skywalker. Moving now to our seventh and final holocron, Defender of Droids. And thank you, big thank you to Anders John for proposing the name for the cause, Mm -hmm. Droid Liberation and Defense Organization, otherwise known as DLDO. (laughs) Colleen, to inspire new recruits, hit us up with some information on the battle droids of the city of Perkle. All right. So these guys are super cute. They kind of look like funky ostriches. I love them. And they also resemble the indigenous people, the Politech. The very spindly kind of arms, the head crest, their little kind of breasts and fringes that are on their legs. And they kind of resemble the B1 battle droids in basic design, but with those spindly limbs and head crests, they kind of are separate. Their coloring is distinct, not like other battle droids. They're called D-wing air support droids, which means they can fly. They don't really show it. I mean, especially when they're knocked off the tower by Wrecker, they don't fly, which means he either incapacitated them in some way now is your time to fly Bran fly right yeah they should have been flying but they were not flying their air support was broken we were talking earlier about how sentient we think they are and as opposed to the normal B1s these guys seem like they lack 
even more sentience, which might be because they're under control directly from the Techno Union. So they're unable to adapt or learn as much as some of the other battle models like the B1. And the B1 were made by a Techno Union subsidiary, Bactoid Combat Automata. I think that's how you say it. I'm not exactly sure. The BAC is we in the know call them. As we say. So as a subsidiary, they aren't under as much control as direct techno union droids would be, which might explain the personality and style differences and their ability to kind of think a little bit better on the fly and get promotions and whatnot. But they do scream, why? (laughs) (laughs) To tragic yet comedic, delightful effect. Yes. While they're thrown off the edge, I felt so bad. The one droid, though, that I felt pretty okay about was the one that Wrecker is basically, like, kind of not bench pressing, but kind of doing his little presses up into the air. He's got a gonk droid, which is a super heavy droid. Yeah, it's not even a bench press because it's one-handed. One-handed, just upward press. He's working those back muscles. He's got his regimen. He's got to get it going. But I fully expected him to toss the droid aside when there was the emergency with their landing. But he's super gentle. He like kind of pivots and puts the droid down really gently. I'm like, okay, Wrecker, you're getting back in my good graces. I feel like Star Wars is making the correct decision to make the big burly bear of the group be a little bit cuddly and soft at times because this is a dark series and levity is totally needed when you're at the precipice of everything coming undone. Mm, Yes, yes. What Star Wars does beautifully and they seem to be doing very beautifully well here with Wrecker is inserting these moments of hilarity and jokes to lighten things up. Yes, right. And it makes us get closer to him, too. So even when he picks up Rex at that point where Rex is fighting with Crosshair, he's not doing it because he doesn't like Rex. He's doing it in loyalty to his teammate. So you kind of have to get behind him on that one, at least at this point. And he doesn't use the term reg in this episode. So I'm like, okay, good. We're slowly learning. (laughs) Very slowly learning. Yeah, HR has been talking to them and they've been doing a few seminars. It's... Slow, but important work. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Speaking of seminars, let's move on to our section, Master and Apprentice, where I choose something cool to ask Colleen, or we answer questions together that you, dear listener, have submitted to us at bohemiangeekstudies at Mm gmail.com. Today, we have three questions. The first question is one that we together thought was most pressing. Should there be some sort of trigger warning for this episode, especially if you're like us and strongly encourage people to watch Clone Wars and Rebels? Gently, very gently encouraging. Specifically, a kind of warning for people we may be recommending the show to Mm -hmm. who may be at risk for experiencing PTSD Mm -hmm. in light of how shockingly incredible and graphic the portrayal of Echo was when he was discovered. Yes. I think Clone Wars does such a good job dealing with this PTSD issue in Star Wars. A lot of times you don't get it in the movies. They don't talk about it a lot. But in Clone Wars and Rebels and in the novels, they get much more behind this idea that 
sure, yes, this is a glorious rebellion against authoritarian regime, the Empire, but there are consequences to this. In Rebels, you have both Kanan, Jarrus, and Chopper, who experience PTSD symptoms. Kanan was a teenager, basically. I think he was probably around 14 or 15 when Order 66 happened. He saw his master die. He fled and survived through Order 66, but it shapes so much of his life moving forward. We even see it when he hooks up eventually with clone troopers Rex and his buddies in later seasons of Rebels. And then Chopper is a droid. One of the best. Top fives, hands down. One of the best droids, for real. He's like my top five. He's probably my number two after R2. He, as a droid, experiences PTSD. He can't get near a Y-wing craft without having a reaction. And that's a droid. So the sentience of droids is really brought to the forefront here because they can experience emotional trauma just as much as the Jedi can. And then you have from the novels that I've been reading recently, The Aftermath trilogy. So spoiler alert for the Aftermath novels. If you don't want to hear about the Aftermath novels, tune out for like the next minute. So Nora and Brenton Wexley are a couple that experience these extreme PTSD issues. Nora Wexley was a pilot in the rebellion during the Battle of Endor. She actually went into the deuce, into the Death Star number two, and brought the TIE fighters away from Lando, who was piloting the Millennium Falcon and Wedge. So she's the one who drew the TIE fighters away and was basically ready to die. And she comes back in the novels and talks a lot about recurring nightmares and visions and dreams about this experience and then her husband comes back in the second novel and has been programmed basically to kind of do an assassination attempt on rebel leadership so he's also experiencing these horrors from war PTSD symptoms and it's interesting that a cartoon or an animated television show for ostensibly they say it's for kids but folks y'all this is not for kids so within this episode is us saying well I'm not even sure quite how to phrase it yes be aware that there are instances in this episode that could induce a PTSD kind of symptom or spiral, especially at the end. Now for a lighter question, since that one was definitely a bit heavier, what is the title of the next episode and can we expect to always know the titles of future episodes of Clone Wars before they air? For this one, just because the arc was already released on StarWars.com as the Bad Batch arc, it wasn't finished yet, so they just finished it for this season. The next episode is called On the Wings of Kyridax, so we get more dragons. We get more dragons, you guys! More dragons! I have seen the mock-ups of these episodes, so I kind of know what's going to happen, even though they have changed things for the series now in this season. But so far, we know, I think, the first six episode titles. So we know the first for arc for the bad batch and then two of the next episode titles and i'm not going to say them here because that's too much spoiler territory for us but i would think that disney plus might hide after those first six they might hide the next episode titles because they did for the mandalorian so pretty much respect to our listeners who totally are curious Mm -hmm. you can google up to six title episodes For our listeners who like to experience things fresh, we know what that feels like and we won't spoil that for you here. (laughs) Nope. I know that I like watching without preconceived notions as well. So respect to both sides of the aisle on that and you can have it whatever your way is. Exactly. We will only spoil pre-existing material. (laughs) Yeah, we'll only spoil that which has 
thus already been spoiled by existing in canon. Exactly. <laughs> so for the next question, I noticed some hash marks on Rex's helmet and was wondering if you wouldn't mind pulling a Thrawn and breaking down some of the artistic symbolism on the gear we see. Of course. Okay, so Rex is very individualistic when it comes to his armor. A lot of the clones do hash marks for their droid kills. So Rex's aren't necessarily for droids that he has killed because there would be way more hash marks on his armor. In Star Wars Rebels episode, The Last Battle, he says that he doesn't keep track of how many droids he's destroyed like some of the clones did. But Dave Filoni says in an interview that it's kill marks, but this is probably more significant kills. So not B1 battle droids that he's taken down. This is more like marking the years that he's been in service and he's a veteran. So he does have these kill marks, but it's going to be more like legendary kind of takedowns. He doesn't scratch up his armor just for any droid he takes down. So that's the first thing. And then the really cool part of his helmet are those kind of like little wing. They look like wings, like butterfly wings kind of above his eye visor. Yeah, blue lines, right? Yes, his little blue lines. Those are called Shriekhawk eyes. And they're like commonly referred to in Mandalore language as Jag or Yag. I don't know how to pronounce it specifically. But it's a sigil bestowed by clan leaders as a mark of honor, awarded for particular acts of bravery. And they're usually worn on the helmet. They have dis- This is for Mandalorian soldiers who have distinguished themselves in battle. So he's earned this from a Mandalorian. A Mandalorian has basically told him like, yes, you deserve this. So he's put them on his helmet. Another cool little thing here, which connects to Star Wars Rebels, Kanan, when he is blinded by Darth Maul and has his little blind visor on to protect his eyes, has these Shriekhawk eyes as well, which connects him with Rex because they do become buddies. Yes, they do. And it makes me think that Rex put them there or Sabine, who is Mandalorian, also put them on his visor. Yeah, they ultimately come to see eye to eye. Eye to eye. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. The Rebels season four didn't destroy me. I'm fine. <laughs> and speaking of feeling totally fine, let's move on to our next segment. I've got a bad feeling about this. Critics Corner. Bum, bum, bum. Colleen, kick us off with the one I had no idea about. So it might as well have been pretty much a master and apprentice moment. Good segue. I like that. Okay. So I also was not completely aware of this. I had heard like a tiny little rumor about it, but I hadn't dug really deep until a friend of ours, Matt, posted something about it. And he was like, oh my gosh, this is huge because he had also watched the preliminary mock-ups of the episodes and he paid way more attention to them than I did on my first watch. So there was this image of Padme, like a sexy pinup 1940s version of Padme, like boobs like thrust out, all the legs showing. Like it wasn't like super risque. It was pretty tame considering what a pinup could be on a World War II fighter plane. So the Bad Batch arc was released in those little mock-ups on StarWars.com after the planned seventh season was shut down after the Disney acquisition. In this original Bad Batch arc, their ship, the Havoc Marauder, had that pinup style painting of Padme on the nose cone, which Anakin Avi did not like. He was like, Yikes. that is coming off of that plane. That is coming off, y'all. 
turns a little sip quicker. A little bit quicker. And he kind of, he says this to Rex as an aside where it's like, no, Anakin Fawn would have just cut that off the ship at this point. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, that was like a cool callback to World War II plane art. But I think it was a super good call by Disney to cut this out because the scene with Rex and Anakin where Rex is guarding the door. So much better. So much more effective so much better like yes like this is showing their relationship it's showing Anakin and Padme's clandestine meeting relationship way better it shows how connected Rex and Anakin are it was just such a much better storytelling narrative choice so Disney had a bad feeling about it and we say good on you mouse for knowing when to say not today yes good call we did not need another over sexualized Star Wars heroine thank you very much and speaking on heroes, what's happening with our hero Rex? Is Anakin blocking a promotion, Colleen? What's happening here? I mean, this is really hard to say because a lot of the clones in the series do get promotions, like from private to arc trooper and so forth. The major clones like Cody is obviously already super high up. He has the highest rank as the commander. But Rex stays at captain, which is super interesting to me because he has promotion potential written all over him. He has He's a strategic genius. He works well with the troops. Can he not see his hash marks and eyes? Yeah. Do they see the hash marks? Do they see the Shriekhawk eyes? So the theory that Anakin is blocking his promotion, whether he means to or not, is kind of a good one. Like Anakin wants to keep Rex as his captain, as his leader of the 501st. But it could also be that Rex has taken on too much of Anakin's persona. For sure. And I know you... too hot yeah a little bit you had made that point about the one movie the beach where we said that rex's leadership will it be continued to be called into question or will rex doubt himself for me it reminded me a little bit of the movie the beach starring leonardo dicaprio where the group mentality on this paradise like island really starts to degrade because one guy gets horribly, horribly mauled by mm-hmm. a shark and is slowly and agonizingly dying. And it really chips away at the group's morale. And again, very similarly, it's not Echo's fault. I just worry about the psychological impact that it's going to have on Rex because the decision to leave him him being Echo behind consistently is brought up as haunting Rex and I'm really worried about what that's going to do for Rex very much like the the shark eating someone half to death who's dying on an island really brings down the vibes at the beach party Right, which can also lead to another not non-promotion for Rex because he will be emotionally compromised by this his friend dying very slowly. No fun for anyone. And I'm very concerned that Echo's rescue will continue to rip my heart out. I'm concerned Echo is kind of like the dying man on the beach that will continue to chip away at Rex's and the team's morale. It's very clear to us already in these two episodes, Anakin is concerned about where Rex's head is at. Mm-hmm. Yep. And everyone seems to be a little bit concerned mm-hmm. about this, except for Rex, which is very problematic. Yes, exactly. I know that we had one of Brendan's hot takes coming up here. He had asked about the Lion King Rock when they're, when they're meeting on the Lion King Rock. 
So Anakin says he has basically told Hunter to take the Bad Batch away after starting a fight. He's like, I have to talk to my captain right now. Like, get out. Go away. <laughs> excuse me. And he's, uh, yeah, excuse me. I need to talk to my guy right now. You need to, like, fuck off and go do something else. So Anakin says, I hate to say it, but you have to prepare yourself for the possibility that Echo is dead and that this is a separatist trick. And it's kind of like, Anakin really hasn't questioned Rex ever before. And this is like, I know that we've talked talked about how Anakin and Ahsoka, their relationship, where Anakin has to question himself where he says, oh, Ahsoka can't do this because blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but you would do that. And in this situation, it's the same thing. Like, Anakin, I love that you're kind of getting more introspective and thinking like, oh my gosh, I have to watch out for this guy. He's my friend. But still like, dude, look in a mirror. This is basically you. Every single mission. I know the next part is the sad part. (laughs) Also is the idea that we cannot get away from the bad feeling just because we saw them escape doesn't mean this isn't a trap within a trap. Maybe there was something implanted inside of Echo that the separatists plan to use against our guys. Right, right. And so that all kind of gets wrapped up into Mm -hmm. my continued bad feeling about what should be a very optimistic, wonderful, successful rescue. Mm Mm-hmm. And our third bad feeling kind of piggybacks on this. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that war has been going on for way too long. Mm -hmm. It is heart-wrenching and heartbreaking when Echo asks Rex if Rex has come back for him. Because maybe Echo's been trapped in this citadel Mm -hmm. abandonment nightmare for this entire time. All of us are wondering how far will Rex go to protect an Echo of an Echo. And that comes back to that quote, like when Anakin asks him, are you prepared for this? And Rex says, I've watched so many of my brothers fall during this war, and I try not to hang on to any one of them. He takes off his helmet and he says, but that changed when I heard that separatist transmission. It is no algorithm. That's Echo's voice. I know it. And it is so heartbreaking when he goes from that modulated soldier's voice, when he like he changes his voice when he takes off the helmet, and then he gets that human voice when Anakin can actually look him in the face. And that's where it made me wonder, like, oh, shit. When he finds Echo, how far will he go now? Will he lose another promotion or will he be demoted? I don't think he will. I'm pretty sure he's going to stay where he is as captain. But damn, he's ready. He's This survivor's guilt thing is going to wreck him in the end. Our last bad feeling about this is who the fuck do the Bad Batch answer to? Word. Word. Who the fuck? Nobody knows. If the Bad Batch does, nobody is snitching. Because Hunter, we don't know. Nobody knows. I don't know. I don't know. I watched the mock-ups, like I said, and I I still am not sure who they work for. Like, Anakin even kind of asks about it. And Rex asks, point blank, who do you report to? And Hunter is super cagey about it. Even Wrecker pauses his workout when Rex asks So apparently only Hunter knows, and Hunter is not saying anything. So Anakin at first said, he asked him, like, how many missions have you guys done? And Hunter, deflecting expertly, says, honestly, sir, I've lost count. All the action sort of blurs together. Mm Mm-hmm. You know how it is. Yeah, you know how it is. War, we don't, it's fine. Yeah, 
We don't ask questions. We just go in and kill things. And then when Rex asks who they report to, if not Cody, like he brings up Cody. He's like, you've worked with Cody, but you don't answer to him. And that's when Wrecker pauses his workout and Hunter says, good question. Can't say I've got an answer. Mm, Can't say. Huh? Dun, dun, dun. So who are our main suspects, Colleen? Okay, so my guesses would be Palpatine himself, although that seems to be a little high up for one commando unit, even if they are specialized, even if they are the Navy SEALs of the clone troops. Palpatine's a little high up. Dooku is also a little too high up. He's got a lot of shit going on. Mother Talzin's trying to take over his body and shit, so he is probably not. He's busy. He real busy. It could be another member of the Jedi Council, like a more militant member or like a secret member of the Jedi Council. But Right, because at this time, we're not at the part where the Jedi Council is being slaughtered by them. Mm-hmm. Not yet, no. At this point, they're still on the same team working together. Exactly. Yep. So they could be an offshoot of somebody working with the Jedi Council, but not necessarily on the books. But my favorite option, my friend Tori suggested Wilhelm Tarkin. So he's he's not Grand Moff Tarkin yet. He's still just kind of bouncing around in the Navy. But we know that he's interested in military matters, especially if it means taking some control away from the Jedi. So it kind of makes sense that like how better to do that than have a secret commando squad at his beck and call. So my bet is on Tarkin at this point, just because he's higher up in the military, but he's not so high that one commando squad of four clones would be above or below the pay grade. And so what's concerning to us is Anakin's supposed to be the head honcho here, and for him to not have any idea what the main objective is for the most lethal clone squad in the galaxy that he's rolling up with in a war-torn planet, well, that's alarming. He really is. Like, he's he's tamped it down for this mission. And we can see Anakin is more reserved than his normal hothead itself. Mm. And it's problematic that we can't be sure that people like Crosshair will follow his orders. Mm-hmm. We had a sigh of relief when Crosshair didn't shoot to kill the Purgles. You get a sense that if the Bad Batch wanted to turn sour, things would break bad quite quickly. It's foreshadowy of what we know happens to Jedi who are with clones later. We're at the precipice of the turn waiting to see it happening. Exactly. Exactly. I know there was one little thing I wanted to talk about at the end. I'm going to add on one little thing. (laughs) Just a little thing. Just a little thing. Just a little bitty guy. So Echo is our main focus this episode. The episode is named after him, A Distant Echo. So Rex says, he's come to rescue him. He's, I'm going to take you home. But can you really go home after this, after being here? I don't think people are going to trust Echo, no matter what he says, no matter what he does. They're going to view him as a traitor or a risk to the Republic or even a possible spy. So basically, like, his life ended when that shuttle exploded at the Citadel. Echo, we hope you're okay, but we're nervous. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And I did want to talk a little bit about our title, the Distant Echo title. So we had talked about this earlier a little bit, where we were wondering if this was a trap to begin with. Because in the last episode, when Trench found out that they had that intercepted the Echo transmission, he was like, what? He did the Vader, what? (laughs) 
So we're just wondering when that was triggered. Did this little piece of Echo, who's actually still human Echo, inside his mind catch that Rex had asked him for his actual name designation and he sent out a cry for help? Like this wasn't initially a trap, but Watt, Tambor, and Trench used this information that Echo sent to Rex to lure him and the team further in. So it's like the distant echo of Echo that is bringing in the prey, basically. Thanks for breaking that down for us, Colleen. Moving on now to our next segment. (laughs) Who won the best best car award for giving the greatest outer rim and inner rim job performance? My choice for outer rim winner this time is whoever is coordinating this spectacular fight choreography. I mean, we can give it. I think to Stuart Lee, he's the director of this episode. So it was stunning. Animation was beautiful. The camera angles and shots were dynamic and ever shifting. I love that one scene of Crosshair shooting the grappling hook where he's balancing the we- his weapon on Tech's shoulder. That was just a really cool image to see. Tech doesn't seem to mind this. This is totally normal for him. And the team is so fluid that Rex still has no clue what they're doing. It's shenanigans. Hunter grabs the rope and is like, oh, I'm going for a ride. And he just flies away. Oh, my goodness. Yes. When Hunter's streaming behind and it's the yellow Mm -hmm. sky and the wings are opening up. Yes. It was a very... Just very iconic. I loved it. It's so beautiful. And the Kiridak in the sky with Hunter kind of flying behind them. It's just everything about this episode was stunning. The director, Stuart Lee, hats off to you. This is wonderful. Another really cool angle that he did. I don't know if this was exactly expected for what he wanted to do, but he has Anakin talking to, quote unquote, his captain, Rex, on that Lion King rock, trying to appear like an equal, speaking to him like an equal, but still standing really tall above Rex. And this is an interesting camera angle choice. It shows that while Anakin trusts Rex, there's still a lot of superiority going on in their dynamic. But Rex doesn't mind. He still speaks his opinions to Anakin in this scene and isn't ashamed to admit that he might be wrong. So while the camera angle kind of depicts Anakin is still like, yes, I'm your superior and I'm talking to you as your superior, Rex still talks back to him, which is a really cool thing to do for that character. So now that we know our Outer Rim world winner, Mm -hmm. who's our winner in the core of the Star Wars universe? Ugh, I hate to say it, but... uh, Wah, wah. Can we give a big Beskar boo? Boo. Big Beskar boo to you, Watt Tambor and Techno Union. Boo. Watt Tambor and the fucking Techno Union won this round, guys. I hate to say it, but they did. They've had Echo captive for at least over a year, maybe two years, depending on what our timeline is. They've been mining his brain for intelligence strategy and using it effectively against the Republic. Who knows how many campaigns they've won just by using Echo. They're still a major power in the galaxy. They have immunity hiding behind these false neutrality corporate bullshit reasons. Thank goodness that doesn't happen in our world. What a relief to be able to escape Mm. into a world of Mm. utter fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) And experience this non-tax sheltered entity that can get away with whatever they want because they're a capitalist corporate entity. Oh my gosh. If only we could see that in our world and know what they were talking about. (laughs) Oh, so yeah, they're going to keep their neutrality guys. Yeah. So the techno union will keep treating POWs in this psychological warfare kind of aspect. 
Yikes. For real. Techno Union wins. Watt Tambor's horrific quote to Rex when he says, your friend is dead. His mind is ours. Basically means copyright, trademarked. We got that shit locked down. We will sue you if you take him from us. The Galactic Better Business Bureau is broken, bitches. (laughs) Yes, for real. The algorithm is theirs. Echo is theirs. Capitalism wins. Just sit tight, Trooper. You're going home. All right, ravenous listeners, join us again for episode three of the War of the Clones next time. Until then, you can send us questions you want answered during the Master and Apprentice section by emailing us at BGS, following us on Twitter and Instagram, and getting deeper involved in our shared geeky community in a galaxy close, close to your ears. Thanks so much, sabers up, and keep those episodes streaming. That was some show you put on just now. Just doing our job, Captain. (laughs) 